Thank you, Daniel. For those who were here last week, that's the same text we read, but last week I addressed verses 1 through 3, and today we'll be looking at 4, 5, and 6, but I wanted the, the full six verses read. So anyway, thank you, brother, for reading that, and Joe David for the song service, and Wayne for the communion, and Todd. Actually, I never heard the expression pew research. I have noticed a lot of pew meditation. But I'd rather you be in research than meditating. <laughs> That's great. I'll tell you what, uh, I was also on that Zoom call, and Patterson's a fine man, and Sharon and the children. And I want you to know that um, if he's going to be 35, we don't need anybody that old. Actually, regardless how experienced you are, and Brother Patterson is experienced, no matter how experienced you are, when you stand behind a pulpit to an unfamiliar congregation, even though we realize all of us understand we're one body, verse 4, Ephesians 4, nonetheless, there's this, um, some trepidation. You're not necessarily nervous, you just want to do your best. You want to share the Word of God as a messenger, and you want to share it among friends. Um, so I do ask that you lift Patterson and Sharon in prayer, and that when they arrive next Sunday, that you'll greet him, as I know you will, with the family of God that we are. And I look forward to hearing my brother preach and teach. All right. I can tell you that over the years, Debbie and I have thoroughly enjoyed the arts of Nashville. I mean, anything, you know, all of it, really, from the Grand Ole Opry and some great country music to the Tennessee Performing Arts Center, TPAC, watching great musicals and other plays, to the Skimmerhorn Symphony Center, named after I just discovered, to be honest with you, Kenneth Skimmerhorn, American composer, and more importantly, the, the conductor of the Nashville Orchestra for 22 years until he passed away in 2005, and then that's when they completed the great symphony center named in his honor, in his memory, the Skimmerhorn. And we've enjoyed all of it. I have my own favorites. I really enjoy hearing the symphony. Uh, I also enjoy TPAC, and actually I enjoy the Grand Ole Opry too, so I guess they're all my favorites. But when we go to the symphony to hear this great orchestra, I like to go early. And the reason I want to go early is because that's when all 79, I looked that up to make sure, all 79 world-class musicians are tuning up and playing their own songs and, you know, whatever they're... It is a cacophonous sound. It is dissonant, discordant. What other synonym can I use? It is unmelodious. It is a screeching noise. When you have 79 musicians all at the same time tuning their instruments and playing a bit, you know, a few measures of, of whatever they choose to play. 
They're not 79 beginners. <laughs> They're 79 world-class musicians, but they sound horrible. And then they leave the stage, and then they come back, and they take their seats, and if they can lift it, they pick up their instrument, and then they wait. And the conductor steps forward with the baton in hand, steps onto the rostrum, greets the audience, turns around, and with the first beat, divine, absolutely beautiful music. Everybody, it sounds like there is only one person playing. They're so in harmony, in unison. And just about every time I hear it, I think of you. Not just Antioch, but the universal body of Christ. And when you travel the world, you realize, as many of you have, that though this is a special family and we all know each other's concerns and needs and names and the names of our grandchildren, even though this is a special congregation, we are part of the greater whole and that greater body of Christ sings in unison. God loves harmony. He loves it. Speaks of it all the time in Scripture. Psalm 133.1, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. 1 Corinthians 1.10, I appeal to you, by the way, the word appeal, same word in Ephesians 4.1, parakaleo, I beg you, I beg you in Greek, it's, the, it's a very powerful verb. I appeal to you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree and that there be no dissension among you, but that you be united in the same mind, in the same judgment. God loves harmony. In fact, there are six things the Bible tells us that God hates. Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 through 18. And then he says, the seventh he abominates. Verse 19. There are six things the Lord hates, and the seventh he abominates. Do you, know what, do you know what the seventh is? Sowing discord among brethren. God loves harmony. He loves one voice. Not a cacophony of differences. One symphony. One harmony. By the way, the great Apostle Paul also loved harmony. As we shared last week, at least in part, um, I can think of three epistles in particular. He wrote 13, but I can think of three Romans, chapters 1 through 11, and then chapters 12 through 16, and how they complement, P-L-E, how they complement each other. Chapters 1 through 11, this is the Word of God. Chapters 12 through 16, this is how you apply the Word of God. Galatians 1 through 4, 
This is the Word of God. This is what you need to learn. Chapters 5 and 6, this is how you apply the Word of God. And in Ephesians, chapters 1 through 3, this is the Word of God. 4, 5, and 6, this is how you apply the Word of God. Balance. Harmony. That's why he says in chapters 1 through 3, God chose you. Not by accident. God doesn't make accidents. God chose you. You responded when he called. Acts 2.39, the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, to everyone whom the Lord God calls to him. You heard the call. Don't think because you were reared in a Christian home that God didn't call you at age whatever, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. He did. He called you specifically by name. He said, Mike, I'm calling you. Not Gary or Janet or Mark, my siblings. I'm calling you. You have to make the determination. You respond to my call. God chose us. He redeemed us in Christ. He sealed us with the Holy Spirit. And we are saved by God's grace. Therefore, here it is, the six verses that our brother Daniel read. Therefore, lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Lead a life worthy. And how do you lead a life worthy? Well, Joe David's alluded to it, Todd's alluded to it, Wayne alluded to it, pretty much every... We lead a life worthy, according to Paul in this text, with all humility, with lowliness and meekness and patience and love. Why? Why? Does God want us to lead a life worthy of the calling to which we've been called with humility and meekness and patience and love? Why? Paul explains why. Because we need to maintain the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. It's who we are as a people. We are only a people of God when we maintain, when we eagerly maintain the unity of the Spirit, God's Spirit, and the bond of peace. Not that we can't have our own differing opinions, but that when we sing, we sing with one voice. When we play, it's one, one sound. We tune up out here. Everybody, you know, we're all... We, you may not be first chair... You may, in this symphony, in this orchestra, but everyone has an instrument, and everyone tunes and plays to the world. And when we come together, you could even make it analogous to just before we have the opening prayer. You've got this just Especially when everyone's back and the masks are off, you've got this noise everywhere. You can't pick up any sound, any word, but you have 450 people congregating in a single room, and there's just a buzz. And then the, you know, forgive this analogy, I could take it too far and it loses meaning. And then the orchestra leader comes up, whoever that first person is, usually Joe David, and everyone's quiet, Right? The point is, is that we all play in God's orchestra. First, second, third chair, we all have a position. And when we come together, Paul says, we need to maintain the unity of spirit through the bond 
of peace. Why is it important for us as God's people to be one, to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace? Well, Paul explains we are one because God is one. In fact, there are only two, for this message, I only have two thoughts in mind. God is one, and we are his witnesses, and you can keep those two thoughts in mind as we move along. There is one body. This is what Paul is, this is Paul's defense of why we walk in humility, meekness, patience, and love, and maintain the unity of the Spirit, because we are one body. And there is one spirit and one hope, just as you recall to the one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father who is above all, through all, and in all. That's the reason. Seven times in the Greek text, seven times the word one is used. Seven times. One body. I especially like how the Spanish, at least the Bible I read, Santo Biblia, the NIV, I think, I think it was the NIV version, and they add a word, but I think it, it, it's implied in Greek. I looked at the text, and it's certainly implied in English as well. And in the Spanish version, it says, I un solo cuerpo, un solo cuerpo, one body. Un solo espiritu, one spirit, only one. I guess the literal translation would be, there is only one, just one body. Not two, not a, not a subheading, not a subbody, just one body and one spirit. Una sola esperanza, one hope, only one hope. Un solo uh, señor, one lord. Una sola fe, one faith. Un solo bautismo, one baptism. E un solo Dios y Padre de todos. One, only one. One body, Ephesians 1, 22 and 23. The body is the, is the, is the, is the church, is the body of Christ. One spirit, the same spirit that you were given, 1 Corinthians 3.16, do you not know that your body is the temple of God and that God's spirit lives within you? God's spirit lives within you, so when we congregate, how can we have 450 spirits of God? There's one spirit, and the one spirit brings us together. The same spirit that Tim has, I have. The same spirit that dwells within my brother Tim, dwells within Joe David. So are they united? Of course they're united. Do they play their own song and their own instruments? Yes, but when they come together, it's one harmonious sound. Where was I? One body, one spirit. One hope. Romans 8, 24 and 25, I always think of that text when I think of the word el peace in Greek, esperanza in Spanish, hope. Hope is, at least in this text, really throughout the Bible, um, the word hope is, is translated in English as hope, but in fact in English it, has, it just lacks so much because there's such uncertainty with the word hope. 
You've heard me before talk about it. You know, I hope the rain stops. You know, it may or may not, but I hope it stops. We've had enough rain, right? Or in a drought, I hope it rains, etc. There is one hope, just as you were called to the one hope of your calling. And Paul says in Romans 8, 24, uh, in this hope we were saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, then we wait for it with patience. How in the world can you wait with patience on anything that you're not sure will ever happen? You're only patient because you know what's going to happen. Otherwise, you're impatient. Una sola esperanza. One body, one spirit, one hope of your calling, one Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, not some other, you know, prophet of some other religion. There's only one kurios, only one Lord, just one, the Lord Jesus Christ. If you think you can make it on in any other way, then you don't understand text. You don't understand God's word. And I know that you don't believe that, but the world believes that, which is all the more reason we have to not only uh, uh, you know, walk in humility and um, uh, meekness and patience and love, we need to share the word of God as we walk in humility, patience, uh, meekness, and love. We need to let the world know there is one Lord, one faith. Jude 3 Contend for the faith. The word one in the Greek text is implied. The, that you've got that article, the, contend for the faith. Once for all delivered to the saints. One baptism. When we put on Christ and we don the toga virilis, if you will, if you remember that sermon of several weeks ago, we, we are one. What does the world see? Well, the world sees us. The world sees baptism is public. The world sees this kind of moment. And we want them to see it. We want them to know, you know, I, wit, I have put on Christ. I want the world to know that. There is one body and one spirit and one hope and one Lord and one faith and one baptism. And it, it identifies who we are. We are not 450. We are one. I know sometimes it's not only because I've been working on the Spanish with the word familia, but I'm telling you, you can't read the scripture without backing up and thinking, man, this is a little bit repetitive. The word family, the word oneness, the word father, the word son, the word child, it, it's all over the place, old and new, by the way. So if you get angry with me for using somos la familia de Dios, well, you take it up with, hmm. You could take it up with, with the one God and Father. It's not only because God is one. And by the way, do you remember that text in Deuteronomy chapter 6? I nearly left it out. I give Goyo the Notas, and then he's so good back there, I have no, no doubt that he's delivering a better sermon than you're hearing, for the most part. But in Deuteronomy 6, we have Moses who had just come down Mount Sinai. 
He has with him on his second trip two tablets again. He summons all the elders of Israel, not all the people, too many of them, but he summons all the chieftains together, all the, all the, you know, the 12 tribes and the leaders, all the elders, and he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Adonai Echad. It is through Scripture. The reason Paul wants the Ephesian church to maintain the unity of spirit of the Spirit, is because that's who God is. And we are God's people. We are his family. God is one. It's a very powerful prayer in Judaism. The Lord, the Lord is one. And if you know many Orthodox or even conservative Jews, then I'm sure you've heard that over and over again. If you spend any time with them at all, every prayer they utter, all of the Barak prayers, all of the blessing prayers, you know, the Lord, you know, uh, hear us where the Lord our God, the Lord is one. It's a very important concept. And the New Testament church, the body of Christ, fulfilled that. Not just complimented it, but actually fulfilled that Deuteronomy 6, 4 text. All right. The other reason that we need to understand we are one body, that we need to come together with with one spirit, is because we are witnesses to the world. To continue with the analogy of of the Nashville Orchestra, people are listening. And when you go early and you hear them tuning up, and it's nearly especially... You know, I only have one good ear, and I'm telling you, even sometimes I have to cover my left ear because it's just such noise. And if that's all I heard for two hours, I don't think there'd be an audience. The world listens to us. They, they're listening to our music. We are witnesses for God. John 17, 20. The prayer of Jesus. Listen to the words. You know what? You've heard it so many times. Listen carefully to the words. Jesus is praying to the Father about the apostles. Father, I do not pray for these only, but for all those who believe in me through their word, that they might all be one even as you are in me and I in you, that the world might believe that you have sent me. The devil's had his foothold in this world ever since the fall of humanity in the Garden of Eden. Every chance the evil one gets and his demons, they twist God's word. Every time we give him a foothold into the body of Christ, the message is blurred. It's a cacophonous sound, and the world doesn't like it. And they don't blame the devil, they just blame the church. 
and God. That's why we don't want to be a part of this. You guys make this awful noise. We are witnesses. I want to tell you a story very quickly. This is my last slide about Ignatius. Before I do, I'm going to talk about Ignatius. Ignatius was a second century elder in our namesake, Antioch of Syria. He was one of the leading men, and he went down in church history as the bishop of Antioch. Do you know when he died? He died, church history says, sometime between A.D. 107 and A.D. 110. He died 15 years after the great apostle John died. In fact, Ignatius and Polycarp and a handful of others, Ignatius was a disciple of John the Apostle. You can't get any closer to the apostolic era, to the New Testament age, than with Ignatius. And Ignatius was one of the elders in the Church of Christ in Antioch of Syria. And a prolific writer, must have been an incredible, incredible man of God. They say, in fact, legend says that he was one of the children. This is totally unprovable, but it's interesting, as all legends are, that, that Ignatius was one of the children that Jesus put in his arms. You know, blessed, blessed. Now, we don't know if that's true or not, but we do know that he really was a disciple of John the Apostle. He wrote many different churches in Asia Minor. And he wrote a letter to the Ephesians. He wrote the letter while he was en route to Rome, around 110, A.D. 110. Do you know why he was going to Rome? Because he had been arrested by Trajan, the emperor, for being a leader in the Christian church. And as he was going to Rome, where, by the way, Trajan would not even hear his case, put him in the Colosseum and released the lions. And he died a martyr's death, ripped asunder. Three or four centuries later, Augustine writes, the early martyrs were bound, <clears throat> imprisoned, scourged, racked, burnt, rent, and butchered and they multiplied. It's a great line from the city of God. That's who Ignatius was. He was writing the church from Antioch. He was writing the church in Ephesus, and this is what he says in that epistle. You can go online and read it yourself. He said, form all together one choir. He's using the metaphor of the symphony downtown. Form all together one choir, so that with the symphony of your feelings and having all taken the love of God, and he's making reference here in the context to receiving the communion. Form all together one choir, um, so that with the symphony of your feelings and having all taken the love of God, you may with one voice sing to the Father through Jesus Christ, that he may listen to you and know you from your chant, as the canticle of his only son. Form all together one choir, so that with the symphony of your feelings and having all taken the love of God, you may with one voice sing 
to the Father through Jesus Christ, that he, God, may listen to you and know you from your song, your, your singing, as the canticle, as the song of his only Son, Church, just a reminder, not only is the world listening, God is listening. God is not the conductor. That'd be those of us who walk up here and kind of lead this beautiful symphony, this orchestra. God is the premier audience. We're playing for family. Now, the world hears us, but we're really playing for the Father to applaud. The applause of heaven. If I could invite our shepherds to walk forward, I would like to remind every one of us that there is one body, and there is one spirit, there is one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father above all and through all and in all. If the Spirit of God has nudged you to walk forward and pray with Wayne or one of our other shepherds, then listen to the Spirit and let's pray together. Why? So when we leave this room, this assembly hall, when we leave and go our own ways, that others will hear our voices and that God will be glorified. Respond as we stand for this song and sing with one voice in harmony. <laughs>